Hi, welcome to PCI Power's podcast channel, Secure Payments. My name is Jane Goodell and I'll be your host for this episode, Compliance in the Cloud. I am joined by PCI Power's Chief Information Security Officer, Jeff Forsyth. We'll be discussing designing and delivering a global cloud platform for achieving PCI DSS compliance and looking at considerations that need to be thought about when embarking on your cloud journey. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Hello, Jane. Uh, It's good to be talking to you. PCI PAL has successfully run a traditional private data center operation since 2009. What prompted the move to a public cloud operation in 2016? Um, Well, PCI PAL comes from a contact center background. Since the early noughties, I suppose, we've run a telephony platform across three traditional data centers in the UK. So they've offered call routing, IVR services, free phone numbers and call center divert stuff. Um, And everything was hosted in three physical data centers, uh, one in London, one in Birmingham and the third in Manchester. So um, it all was really good and very private. In 2015, um, we were seeing a big demand uh, from US companies for a compliant telephony platform in the States. So uh, the problem was how could we deliver that? so our UK platforms, they've got large interconnects with uh, telephony ones, of course, with BT and, and uh, Vodafone. Um, so how did we, could we replicate that in America? Um, well, we investigated using private data centers in New York, but they were really expensive. Philadelphia uh, was a bit cheaper, but trying to get carriers such as Verizon and AT&T into those locations became very cost prohibitive. Um, and that was just on the east coast of the US. I mean, we didn't even, you know, what about the uh, services in California and over on the western seaboard? So the short answer after a, a lot of messing about was was that uh, we had to virtualize it all, convert everything, all the telephony over to uh, VoIP systems uh, and then run it all in the public cloud. Uh, so some big decisions needed to be made. Um And there are also some big players within the public cloud market, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, of course. Why did PCI Power choose Amazon Web Services? Good question. Okay, uh, public cloud offerings are typically split down into local regions, which means we sort of by country. Uh, And each region is further subdivided into availability zones. Um, An availability zone comprises of one or more physical data centers, something that's totally independent with its own infrastructure, power supply systems, internet feeds, and all that. So a region will have, as a minimum, two availability zones uh, associated with it. Uh, Some regions may have as many as eight or nine availability zones. The idea is that when you build your services within these regions, uh, that you load balance across multiple availability zones. That way, if a zone suffers a fault and is lost, the other availability zones within that region are unaffected and they carry on. So the big players, Everything they do is based upon regions and availability zones. So if we look at the top three, um, Google Cloud, uh, they've got over 20 regions and over 60 availability zones. Uh, Amazon AWS, uh, about the same, 21 plus regions and nearly 70 availability zones. Uh, And Microsoft Azure, they're up at uh, 50 plus regions. I think we've got about 60 actually by now, uh, with over 170 availability zones. So Microsoft have got twice as many data centers and availability zones as everyone else. So you would think think they're the obvious choice, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, well, um, it's not quite that easy. Um, 
there's been a certain amount of rationalization of the cloud players over recent years. Um, Gartner, um, they produce a uh, cloud infrastructure magic quadrant chart uh, each year um, where they measure complete vision against the ability to execute. So it's one of those charts where if you're in the top right quadrant, then that means you're more, you have more futuristic features and, you, and those futuristic features that you offer are solid and reliably implemented. So when we look at that magic quadrant for uh, infrastructure of the public cloud, there's only three players in it, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Um, but Amazon are far ahead leaders of the plaque, right, right in the top right-hand corner of that. So really, that, that's sort of the reason we went for, for Amazon. It's just they, they have more features and be, uh, better implemented than other systems. Um, okay. So yeah, so um, using one of the big public cloud companies does give certain advantages when it comes to security and compliance. Um, because these companies, they've spent billions of dollars on ensuring that, that their hardware infrastructure is both secure and meets the numerous uh, global legal compliance standards. So Gartner, going back to them, they, they said that um, by next year, 95% um, of cloud security breaches will be the customer's fault. And what they mean by that is the public infrastructure that's been given by the cloud providers is so secure now that the hackers can't get into it. And it will be faults that have been put in and misconfigurations put in by uh, the companies using the cloud that uh, are where the hackers will get in. So um, so that's a good thing as far as we're concerned, because it means that we can piggyback on systems that were put in place to protect the big players, such as Facebook and uh, GlaxoSmithKline and Netflix and Apple and all that. All those are levels of security that uh, those huge companies can afford, but normal sized companies like ourselves uh, could never afford. So you end up getting to have access to the latest technologies without a costly investment in hardware uh, or software. Good. And obviously something that you want, like you say, um, something that you want to take advantage of if you can. Yes, very much so. The decision has been made regarding the public cloud operation, but when it comes to adopting cloud services, we hear terms like SaaS and PaaS and IaaS, I think that's how you pronounce it. Can you explain? The AAS, but yeah, but IaaS. <laughs> IaaS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain um, what these are? Um, I think most of us probably know what SaaS is, but uh, what the others are, and which option PCI Pal selected when it when when it was looking at a deployment model following the, the move to a public cloud um, hosting environment. So, having decided to go for a, a public cloud solution. The first compliance question becomes, who's responsible for what? So IaaS, IaaS Infrastructure as a Service. So here the cloud provider gives you access to install your own virtual servers and network configurations, firewalls and the like on their hardware. All the operating system configuration is up to you. Maybe you install Linux virtual servers or Microsoft Windows servers, whatever you choose, uh, you put in a virtual Cisco firewall perhaps you are 100% responsible for ensuring those servers are correctly configured and patched. So it's a shared responsibility model. Uh, the cloud provider is responsible for ensuring the physical hardware, cabling, building security, that, that all meets the PCI guidelines. The customer, as in PCI Pal, you are responsible for ensuring that everything built on top of that hardware is compliant. So the majority of the PCI Pal cloud offering is infrastructure as a service. On top of that, there's platform as a service. So this time, um, 
the server's operating system and network infrastructure is taken care of by the cloud provider. Uh, and then you deploy your own applications into servers that they provide. You don't have to provide the service yourself. Uh, additionally, many um, uh, past platform as a service cloud services are nowadays serverless. So let's talk about what that means. Um, here, the cloud provider runs hundreds or maybe even thousands of servers in the background. And these machines share the processing load, breaking any queries and subroutines down into micro runtime commands. Each server spending a mere milliseconds processing their little bit of code before passing the result back to your system. So in that way, extra resilience is gained. Uh, for instance, if a server processing your micro routine fails to respond within a few milliseconds, a second or third server can pick up the load and deliver the result in just a few tens of milliseconds. So services like this, um, things like Amazon Lambda is a, a service that, that works that way. Uh, they are also very cheap uh, to run because you only pay for the microseconds that you use. So to improve the fault tolerance and reliability of our platform, we have incorporated some pass elements uh, into our offering. Um, you mentioned, Jane, uh, software as a service, SaaS. So this yeah. is this is where um, uh, really you're just using a web browser uh, uh, or a software application to access software apps that the cloud provider prov provides to you. So services like Office 365, Salesforce, Dropbox, Netflix, et cetera, they're all software as a service. So PCI PAL itself really is a software as a service offering. Now that we've, we've, we've built everything, we become a SaaS product ourselves that we offer out for people to use. So I suppose that's it really. We're uh, IAS with a little bit of pass thrown in uh, and that way uh, we get total control over the platform. Yeah, so, so it could be an IPSAS. <laughs> we could, <laughs> and, exactly right. Yes, yeah. So it's the security of the cloud that's tightly controlled by the cloud provider, and the security in the cloud, which is the bit that we have to control. And that's so we're one hundred percent charge in charge of that, and make sure we have to get it right. Taking that that sort of worry away. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is a good thing. Um, the PCI uh, Standards Council. Uh, one of their special interest groups published guidance on using cloud providers back in 2018. Um, can you summarise what that guidance recommends? Um, yes, yes. So the PCI um, SSC, they produced an information supplement called Cloud Computing Guidelines. That was April 2018. Um, and it discusses cloud compliance in detail, what you have to do. It's a really good document. It does get a little bit abstract though in places. Um, uh, the big takeaway from it, from the whole document is the number one rule, compliance is your responsibility and not the cloud providers. Um, so, so that's it really, summing up. Uh, the cloud uh, computing guidelines, they say such things as uh, security model in the cloud is different than, than what traditionally used to. So you need to make sure you have specialist, specialist technical knowledge and skills to implement cloud security. Uh, it's very important to engage with technical, legal, and due diligence uh, people as part of this. Um, they try and break it down into uh, a number of steps you should take that starts off, I said it gets a little bit uh, abstract, things like understanding your risk and security requirements before you start, and then choosing a deployment model that aligns with, with your industry's security and risk requirements, and evaluating different options, and knowing what you want from your provider and all this. So, so lots and lots of work you have to do before you actually get to deploying anything. Uh, they are 
very keen on you asking lots of questions to your providers and verifying responses um, so that you understand exactly what, what you're responsible for and what exactly the cloud provider is responsible for. Um, it's important to get stuff in writing, they say, um, documenting everything uh, and constantly reviewing, et cetera, et cetera. So, how, so it, to take all that and put it uh, into uh, uh, a real world model, you end up creating a thing called a responsibility matrix. Um, and it really shows that for each of the PCI controls, and as you remember, there's um, a good 380 of them uh, currently, for each one of those controls, you, you say, who's responsible for, for this control? Is it the cloud service provider that's responsible for providing that? Is it ourselves or is it a joint responsibility? Or, or etc. So 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 you do that. So um, yeah. So as you build your sort of security in the cloud system, it's important to check that all the locations and all the services that you're using have been certified as compliant by the cloud providers um, QSA. Um, um, so that means that you can then prove to your QSA that the cloud provider has taken care of it. So you need to get hold of your cloud providers uh, at station of compliance, the AOC. Um, uh, Amazon, they keep their all the latest copies of all their um, attestations uh, in a thing called AWS Artifact, which is a cloud compliance repository. In fact, in there, they've got over 200 different documents from to do with compliance. Uh, so you can go in there and download the ones that, that you need. Sounds like CISO heaven, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. If you're, so that sort of covers all the infrastructure as a service stuff. If you're using um, platform as a service, which we talked about, you know, this serverless uh, idea, then again, it's important to check that platform as a service services are again, certified as compliant uh, and that they can't, there's no access in, into them from third parties to get hold of the data that's, that's being processed by these thousands of machines all at once. So that's, that's what it, it's all about. Yeah. Okay. So you've picked Amazon uh, web services and you've decided on your deployment model. How do you write the software and get it uploaded onto the cloud platform? Okay, so uh, all our software, um, we're sort of a Microsoft shop. Um, so our developers, they like to write uh, in .NET code. Um, so they do that and they store their code as they write it. Uh, we have a code repository uh, that we store um, the versions of the code in as we go. Uh, and what happens is um, we have to take that latest version of that code um, and we need to um, combine it with um, um, the latest operating system uh, so again Microsoft as you know they they have what's called they have a patch Tuesday uh, on the second Tuesday of every month uh, and as part of that they'll update all their servers with uh, the latest um, patch information to keep the bad guys out so we need to make sure we get hold of the latest Microsoft operating systems that are, are patched and then we need to merge our code on top of that, so we end up with an operating system with our code in it, and that be becomes known uh, as a machine image. We then take that machine image uh, and we push that machine image up into the cloud. Um, and from there, we have a, a launch process. Uh, again, uh, uh, that's also controlled by software. Uh, it's something something known as infrastructure as code. Uh, we use a product called Terraform that, that controls this. And it creates uh, a secure environment of virtual firewalls and and network routers uh, all all uh, configured for exactly what we need. And then it loads the machine image that we've created um, 
into that and that machine image springs to life and becomes a, a server. And then that, that, that then gets cloned across all the regions that we use. So uh, we use an agile development method here, um, which means that we have uh, a fortnightly print, uh, sprint cycle. Uh, and uh, so we have new code that we're uh, releasing each week. Uh, so effectively, um, once a week, the code that's uh, running on uh, uh, on all our regions uh, and all the infrastructure gets torn down and recreated by this infrastructure uh, as code system uh, as it pushes a new version of the platform live. Sounds simple enough. <laughs> um, well, you're using infrastructure as code to automate uh, the whole deployment process uh, as much as you possibly can. So, so uh, that means that um, you're only doing it once, um, and it's not like every week you have to go in and 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 do thousands of steps each time. Uh, and uh, if you get one of those steps wrong, it'll all crash. You don't do any of that because as you're using infrastructure as code, then uh, it's actually all the code that runs and it does all the all the stuff for you. Along with uh, making sure there's no mistakes, how do you ensure the virtual infrastructure in the cloud is um, is secure? So it's locked down tight, so hackers can't get in. Uh, okay, so um, we use a thing called um, virtual private cloud VPCs, and again, that's you'll you'll find that Google, Amazon, and Microsoft uh, are all the same. You create uh, you're you're creating a virtual private cloud within their public cloud. So uh, this virtual private cloud VPC, uh, it's a virtual network uh, totally dedicated to your Amazon account, uh, logically isolated from any other virtual networks anywhere else within the cloud. So you can launch all your uh, AWS resources, you know, web servers, telephony servers in our case, uh, uh, you, you launch them all as instances within your VPC. Uh, you specify IP address ranges that you add to the uh, VPC, you then add in subnets and security groups and routing tables. Uh, and all that is all done by the infrastructure as code routine uh, as it builds your platform. So a subnet, which I just mentioned, that's a range of IP addresses that are within your VPC. And again, subnets, they can be public subnets, so which means that they have access to the internet. Um, so for instance, if you've got web servers in your system, you'd put those in public subnets so they can serve web pages out to people. And then you have private subnets, and those are resources that have no access to the internet whatsoever. So, so we have systems that are doing uh, credit card processing in the background, and they're totally locked down within private subnets with, with uh, no internet access at all. Again, uh, as we've mentioned before, how a VPC is configured and, and the communications that happen within it uh, that's 100% controlled by uh, ourselves. So it's, it's really critical to ensure that we've got everything locked down tight. So we have various dedicated VPCs uh, running. We have an admin region, um, we have a, uh, which is a dedicated VPC. We have uh, Amazon Web, uh, we have agent web interface regions and, and telephony regions, uh, and they're all, all, all locked down. And then, then we open um, tightly controlled gateways between the various VPCs so they can communicate to each other. Um, again, those VPCs are, are created in such a way that they span multiple data centers uh, within an Amazon region. So they're across multiple availability zones. So, um, so you could have a situation where if an availability zone failed, then you could lose half the items within a VPC. But um, mean that the VPC itself is still not lost because the other, the other half would, would still be running. So um, no, it's important to make sure that VPCs are load balanced across multiple availability zones. 
So when looking at the, um, you know, you've mentioned uh, the multiple different availability zones, deployment across multiple regions, do you have a data, any data sovereignty issues to contend with when looking at that? You do. Yeah, data sovereignty uh, is an additional challenge, particularly knowing where your data is at any moment in time. We see data uh, localization laws um, that require data to, to be processed within particular territories. So in the EU, there's uh, GDPR to consider. We see uh, things like Russian laws require uh, that multinational uh, companies uh, host data about Russian citizens on servers in Russia. Uh, we're not in Russia, but if you were, uh, if you were offering a service to Russian people, you'd have to ensure that you had servers in Russia to do that. And again, China has similar laws uh, to that, as does South Africa. Again, in, in North America, it's important that you, you keep Canadian data separate from United States data. Um, and sometimes we see um, legal requirements. Um, we see contractual requirements as well. Uh, for example, uh, public bodies we work with, they may insist that uh, the services that we're, that we're using for them are in a particular location. We have chosen the public cloud market that we want to work with. Um, we've decided on the deployment model. We've gone through the responsibility matrix. We have got lots of VPCs, so virtual private cloud. We've made sure everything's secure. We've looked at data sovereignty um, and made sure that any issues regarding that are covered. So now it's all in place. It's up and running. What routine maintenance checks do you have to perform to ensure everything is secure and running correctly for the long term, not just for not just straight after deployment? Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of business as usual um, routines that have to be carried out as part of PCI compliance. So PCI requirement 2.2 states that um, uh, all the software you use must be hardened down uh, and services that aren't required are are turned off. So you have to make sure, make sure that stays in place. And then we have uh, regular patching requirements, um, which are, is PCI rule 6.2. Um, so you have those types of things that you have to do uh, every day uh, to ensure that, that each time you launch a new cloud, uh, it's fine. Um, the other thing you have to do, of course, is six monthly penetration testing. So this is where you, uh, you have to let the white ha hackers in uh, to test your platform. Two types of penetration tests go on there. The external penetration testing, that's, so that's where the hackers start, start from the outside and they attack your cloud platform. Uh, and again, uh, when you do those types of things, you have to notify your, your cloud provider that, that that's going to happen because otherwise they may think it's a genuine attack and, uh, and start shutting your services down. So we don't want that. Um, so you do that. But then we also have internal uh, penetration testing as well. So we mentioned VPCs. So what you do is is you carefully open one VPC. Uh, and again, you wouldn't do this on, on your main production platform. You'd, you'd do it on uh, a clone of your production platform at the side. You'd let uh, your white ha hackers in there, uh, give them access in. And then once they're inside, they would then start to reach out and see if they can bridge from one server to another server or break out of your VPC to other VPCs, that type of thing. So they do this internal penetration testing as well. So to let those hackers in once every six months to, to do their testing, you use that infrastructure as code. Uh, we talked about that. We use a system called Terraform I mentioned. And within that, you can run that to create uh, additional security groups and access points um, that will allow the 
the white hat hackers in ju just for the day or two days that it takes them to do their testing uh, and then use that infrastructure as code again to remove those items so they're gone afterwards. Great, thank you, Jeff. Sadly, we're coming to the end of today's episode. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with, Jeff? Yes, okay. Um, public cloud compliance, as we've said, is a shared responsibility model. So although AWS, um, uh, Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud, they're all PCI compliant, that doesn't mean that everything you do on them is automatically compliant. So it's up to you to ensure that uh, all the services you use is compliant. So I suppose the takeaways I really have are the big public cloud players, they've spent billions of dollars on creating secure and fault tolerant computing environments. Uh, and you can have access to that for, for very little money. They have systems in place that you could never afford to do yourself as a company. So it's, it's great to be able to get that level of security. So regions are country specific and uh, they consist of multiple standalone data center availability zones. So it's important to make sure you load balance across availability zones. It is a shared responsibility model. So you need to make sure you've got your responsibility matrix in place. Um, we talked about the PCI Council publishing their cloud uh, computing information supplement. So I'd recommend people uh, download that and, and uh, have a read. Um, we talked about IAS, PaaS, and SaaS. So, um, People have got a bit of an understanding of that now. Hopefully, uh, we've for maximum flexibility, we did everything within our own virtual private clouds, which sit within within uh, infrastructure as a service model. We've used strong segmentation uh, subnets, public subnets, and private subnets, and make sure that the data flow between them uh, is very very tightly controlled. We make sure we're using the latest patched machines all the time and we update those uh, every time Microsoft release new versions we get new versions of those uh, into the cloud and make sure we're constantly updating our machines so that there's no vulnerabilities we've automated the deployment of code so that this whole routine which is now a constant cycle every week this never stops but new code new servers all the time that's now totally automated so it's not so so uh, that takes uh, makes it a lot easier for us to do uh, and if there's any problems, we can roll back code and push it forward again. Uh, and I suppose finally, we just mentioned data sovereignty uh, and we have to ensure that uh, everything you do is compliant with the country specific local data laws where you are. Great, thank you, Jeff. I like the fact that people have got some homework to do, so they uh, need to take a look at that information supplement from the PCI Standards Council. Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, really enjoyed no, that you. chat and really informative. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Compliance in the Cloud. In the next instalment, we are joined by our partners Civica, when we look specifically into secure payments in the public sector. Remember to like and subscribe to our channel and for more material on data security and PCI compliance, check out our Knowledge Centre at PCIPal.com.